0: to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message. So we're talking about uh, prayer. Who, uh, who enjoyed last week? Good, well, that was about half, so hopefully the other half of you weren't there. Otherwise, I've got a lot of work to do today. Um, and last week, I spoke on prayer about uh, how to pray effectively. James chapter. Five verse 14, 16, I think, says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and it's effective. Amen. The prayer of a righteous person, which is you, you're in Christ, you're righteous, you're the righteousness of God. Amen. So your prayers are meant to be powerful and effective. And I think the problem for a lot of people is they feel their prayers aren't powerful and effective. And I believe that Jesus taught on prayer really simply And I believe prayer is easy, amen. And so that's what I'm preaching on last week. uh, I spoke on uh, those two points uh, last week. I'll just cover it quickly for those who weren't there uh, from John chapter 16, verse 23, where Jesus tells us to now, in the new covenant, pray to the Father in his name. And in the name of Jesus isn't just a cute little catchphrase, it's not the full stop to end your prayer. In the name of Jesus means that you are coming before the Father in the position of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. You are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Your life is hidden in Christ next to the Father. Amen. Seated in heavenly places. So when you go to pray, lay hands on someone for prayer, whatever you're praying for, you are in Jesus. God sees it as if Jesus is praying. Yeah. The second point was the fact that we pray according to the will of God. So 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 The Apostle John says, whatever you ask for in prayer, according to God's will, you'll get it. Amen. Pretty simple. According to the will of God. And we know that that word according means agreement. And where's God's will? It's in his word. All right. So whenever we pray, we pray in agreement with the word of God. That was step two, is I come in the position of Jesus and now I'm praying in agreement with God's word in the new covenant. We covered Uh, the the difference between Old Covenant prayer, New Covenant prayer. And that's the main difference is you come in the position of Jesus and you're praying in agreement with God's Word, what His Word says about me, about you, about Himself, about our words, about our world. So I don't pray, oh God, there's all this evil in the world, just kill them all. Because that's not in agreement with His Word, is it? No, His Word says that His will is that all shall be saved, amen. So I pray for the salvation of the world, not the destruction of it. It's really important, just an example. Um, So prayer is really just communication with God. I believe it's simple, it's easy, and it's important to understand throughout all this. I was uh, talking to our our team this morning, just in our pre-service meeting, And many people don't really know how to minister to God. We don't really, and I spoke about this last week, but the majority of your prayer life should actually be just fellowshipping with the Father, spending time with God, ministering to Him. See, Acts chapter 13, and people don't believe that when I say you can minister to God, you can bless God. Because religion teaches us that we're worthless, that we've got nothing to give God. But that's ridiculous it's completely not true. God loves you, you're his son or daughter. If he loves the world, if he loved you when you were a sinner, how much more will he love you when you're a son? Amen. So you've got so much to give to God, and it blesses the Father when you minister to him. So Acts chapter 13, when the apostles want a direction in their life, they want to know, Lord, we've got this problem, what do we do? It says they ministered to him. Acts chapter 13, verse 3. It's incredible that they ministered to God. So they were literally saying, God, I love you. Father, I bless you. I thank you, God. You're so good. Thank you that I'm saved. Thank you that I'm redeemed. Thank you that I'm your son or daughter. Thank you that I have the whole kingdom of heaven as my resource. And many people don't think to do that. We use prayer as like our little, our little shopping list. And we, you know, I've got my apples and I need my oranges this week, God. And I need all this. And we tick, tick, tick. And, and we come to God and we want to tick off a list or we treat prayer as a burden. You ever done that? Oh, I better pray today because I haven't spent much time with God. I've got a problem. I better pray about this. No, no, no. It's not like that. Prayer should not be a burden. Prayer should not be your shopping list before God. Prayer is actually communing with Him. I love prayer. It's amazing. Prayer is incredibly fun and exciting for me. It can feel like a bit of a drag at the start. I can feel like, oh, all right, I have to get myself going. I have to go pray. But when I'm in the presence of God, it's incredibly fun and exciting. And so my heart for every single person is that when you pray for a problem, it's simple so that you can spend less time praying over your problems and more time fellowshipping with God. It's so important is that prayer is not just about getting your needs met. You need to, we need to learn to be content in our relationship with Jesus. Content is good. It doesn't mean you settle. There's a difference between being content and settling. Settling is, I don't need to progress, that's it, I'm done. No, no, God wants you to advance, amen. But contentment is saying, Lord, I'm just happy I'm your son or daughter. I'm just happy that you live in me. I'm incredibly joyful because I'm saved, I'm loved by you. See, if you would just do that, it can change your whole relationship with the Father. So, that's not what I'm preaching on today, though. That's another sermon. But I'm going to preach on how to pray effectively or or the, the better way to pray. All right. So if you can turn with me in your Bibles to Mark 11, Mark chapter 11, verse 22. This is probably one of the most powerful scriptures on prayer, which Jesus taught. So we're getting straight into it. Jesus answered and said to them, so Jesus had just spoken to a fig tree And it had withered, and the disciples are all amazed. This is amazing. And so he answers and said to them, Have faith in God. Uh, Now we know other translations that really says, Have the faith of God, or have God-like faith. It's interesting in Romans 12 verse 3, Paul the Apostle says that when you're born again, God gives you the measure of faith, doesn't he? So you put two and two together. And I would say that every single born-again believer in this place has God-like faith. You have the measure of faith. You have the faith of God. Amen. So it's not far off. It's not like I have to get there. I just have to get to the faith of God. No, you've already got it. Amen. I'm going to talk about this later, how how to exercise that. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, be cast into the sea or go throw yourself into the sea, and doesn't doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. It will, it will, not maybe, not, well, well, yes, no, no, it will be done for them. Therefore, there's a therefore. I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you have received it, and it will be yours, not maybe, it will. It's an incredible scripture, isn't it? That's amazing. Jesus says, you can say to that mountain, go throw yourself into the sea. If you don't doubt, but you believe it'll happen, it'll be done. So there's a couple of things going on here. First thing, Jesus is talking about faith, isn't he? He says, faith, if you have faith, that mountain will move. And the faith is that if you believed you received it, it's yours, okay? So here's the third, third step to effective prayer when you're facing a problem in your life is, I know, it's, it's really complicated. Pray in faith, okay? Pray in faith. Faith activates the power of God in your life. If you don't pray in faith, you will not get results. We walk by faith, faith and not by sight, amen? Faith is like your spiritual pipeline. God is spirit, amen? He's a spirit. All your provision is spiritual. So faith brings your spiritual provision into the natural realm. It doesn't happen any other way but by faith. Romans chapter 4, verse 21 talks about Abraham, the father of our faith. And this really describes what faith is like. It says he was fully persuaded, fully convinced that God had the power to do what he had promised Abraham. So that's what faith is. Faith is the fact that you're fully convinced that God has the power to do what He's promised you. Faith is fully convinced that the mountains move; the mountain will move. Faith is fully persuaded. It's fully confident. Amen. It's like a full expectation. That's what faith is. It brings excitement to your life because you're persuaded. You're convinced that God will do it. Think about when someone convinces you. You know, I often talk to Beck and I'm trying to prove my point to her. And when she, and when she gets it, or when I get it, When I realize I'm wrong, I'll say that to make all the women happy. When I realize I'm wrong, it's like, oh, I get it. I'm fully convinced now. I had a bit of doubt before, but now, yep, you're right. I'm fully convinced, Beck. That's what faith is. Amen? So Jesus says in this scripture that faith looks like two things, okay? This is what I want to cover. Because we can often say, well, yep, I believe God. I'm in faith. But Jesus actually says, if you want results in your prayer life, this is what faith looks like, okay? The first thing, faith takes authority over the mountain. Faith takes authority over the mountain. I shared a little bit on this last week. But there is a difference between asking God and then declaring and thanking God. There's a difference. Many people come to God in prayer Whatever it is, say you're praying for healing for yourself or a friend, say you're praying for a breakthrough in a relationship or in your workplace, in a job, in finances, and we come and we say, God, there's a mountain, can you please move it? God, please do something. Oh God, I ask that you would heal this person. God, I ask that you would give me financial breakthrough. God, I ask that you would do this. And God's sitting up on his throne and he's saying, no. No, I'm not going to do that. I've already done it. Amen? All your provision is in Jesus Christ through His death and resurrection on the cross. God says, stop... Uh, See, people need to stop uh, telling God about their mountain and start telling their mountain about their God. Amen? Amen? It's so important. God says, no, I've given you the authority. You don't need to ask me for that mountain to move. You move the mountain. Jesus says... If, you, if anyone says to this mountain, if anyone speaks to this mountain, he doesn't say, if you come and ask God and then get God to move it for you. No, he says, you move it. You speak to it. You take authority over the mountains in your life. Why is the mountain there? The mountain's there because we either live in a fallen world or it's because of the devil. Amen? God has given you all authority, Luke ten nineteen, over the works of the devil. Given you, you, who's, that, who's you? Me, you, us, we. That's you. Okay? Us all authority. So not a little bit, not just, he's not, Jesus didn't go up to heaven and he's not like, oh, Josh, here, you have a bit. Vanessa, here's a bit of authority. Here's 10% for Megan because she's been good this week and, you know, 11% for Adam. He's not like that. He says, no, each person, you receive all authority, all authority. Jesus, it says, his name is greater than every other name. Every principality, every power, every work of the devil must bow to the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So you're meant to use your authority. Yeah. you meant to pick it up and take it. This is so important. So we come to God and you ask God for perspective. That's great. God, what do I pray here? What's going on? Because remember, Holy Spirit leads our prayers. He's, he's our perspective. Amen. Holy Spirit, what do I pray here? But there comes a time for you to speak. There comes a time for you to speak to your mountain. There comes a time if you're fearful, if you struggle maybe to share your faith, if you're stuck in depression, God help me. No. There comes a time for you to speak to that mountain. There comes a time for you to say, no mountain, you're going to move out of my life. I'm taking authority over you. I believe I have authority over every work of the devil. Amen. Come on. Are people getting this? Jesus. Jesus was great at this. Because he's Jesus, right? Jesus was, he, in Mark chapter 4, a huge storm on the lake, right? All the disciples are freaking out. Jesus wakes up. He says, Oh, you of little faith. And then he doesn't say, Let's all pray to God, get together in a circle, and sing kumbaya. No. He says, Quiet, be still. Bang, and the storm stops. He speaks to the mountain. Matthew chapter 17, there's a boy who's demonized. And Jesus doesn't just say, well, Father, I need you to do something for me. I need you to show up, God. Please show up here. No, no, he speaks to it. He casts it out. He says, get out. I rebuke you. Come on. Speaking to your mountain is so incredibly important. I was, um, I was preaching at a, at a young adults conference and um, this, uh, one of the worship leaders, one of the girls, she had a, a really uh, bad back in the morning. And so I had a few people with me and, uh, and I was kind of, you know, speaking to some people on how to, how to pray for people. See, many of us, when we pray, Jesus taught prayer simply. You just speak to the mountain, speak to the problem. And so we go to uh, pray for this young girl and I'm like, all right, just, so, just lay hands on her and just speak to the problem. And so we said, all pain get out in Jesus' name be removed, we cast you out, be completely healed. And uh, and nothing happened. Nothing happened. You're all thinking, oh, it would have been easy, right? So we speak to it again. You speak to the mountain again. Sometimes you just got to exercise a little bit more authority. Amen. So we spoke to it again, paying it out in Jesus' name, be completely healed. And she's like, oh, and it's funny how this happens. I don't completely get how it works. But she's like, it's about 80% better. 80%. I'm like, well, you know, that's, that's improvement, but I want to see the full thing. Come on. Like, I, 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 want it, I want it completely healed. So we pray again. That was it. Stay to 80%. I'm like, just keep standing on that word. You keep taking authority over it throughout the day. Comes back to me in the afternoon, and she's completely healed. Amen. Yeah. Come on. And I'm thinking to myself, we, we get all like, you know, that should be common. It's a normal thing. That should be a normal thing. Jesus says, you speak to the mountain, you take authority over it, and it will move and be cast into the sea. But many people are shocked by that. Many people are like, but it's like, it's in the Word of God. Jesus did it all the time. The second thing, all right, I can see you getting this. We're getting there. The second thing, So faith speaks to the mountain. Faith takes authority over the mountain when you pray. The second thing is faith believes that when you've spoken, it's done. Jesus said, whoever asks in prayer and believes that they've received it first, first, you believe you've received it first, you get that? Then it will be yours. Then it will be yours. Okay? Faith believes when you speak to the mountain, mountain... Devil, be cast out, someone, be healed, financial breakthrough, bang, you've commanded it, you've spoken that mountain, get into the sea. You have to believe you've received it once you've spoken it. Many people, and we do this in prayer because we don't walk by faith, we walk by our feelings, our sight, well, I haven't got it yet, so I must not have it. Well, you know, I prayed a month ago and oh, it hasn't happened. Oh, it's been a couple days. It's been six months. Oh, I haven't got this. You know, I I mustn't have it. I must have to pray again. But see, that's not what Jesus describes as faith. Faith says when it's spoken, it's done. When I've spoken, I believed I've got it. I believe I've got it. So think about this Romans chapter 4, verse 17 says that God is the God who speaks things into being that which was not. Do we get that? So God, think about this in creation, he spoke it into being. He he said, there's no people, there's no trees, and so I'm going to speak to that tree. I'm going to speak it into existence. Now, this will boggle your mind, right? But your provision exists in two realms. It exists in the spiritual realm, and it exists in the physical realm. So I'm healed in the spirit. I've got that provision and then my healing manifests, and then bang, it's in two realms. Amen? I'm rich and wealthy in Christ Jesus, so when I get that financial breakthrough, bang, all of a sudden it comes in the physical realm. So it exists in two realms. So when Jesus says that whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you've received it first, what he's saying is you need to believe it's already done in the Spirit. Whenever you pray, whenever you ask for something for God or whenever you declare that mountain to be moved, you say, thank you, Lord, bang, it is done in the spirit. Your words are spirit and they are life, Lord. So I take your word, I say, bang, it is completely done. And now that is working in the spirit realm. Remember, the word of God is living and active, Hebrews chapter 4. It moves in power, it accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent, Isaiah 55. So when you speak the word, it's done. It's not like, well, it hasn't happened yet, so I don't already have it. No, no, it's not like that at all. You speak it. Thank you, Lord, for healing. Thank you for financial breakthrough. You declare against the enemy. Whatever it is, I've received it. It's mine. It's done. Okay? Are we getting this? So faith sees, faith sees it first in the Spirit. This is what Jesus is saying. Faith sees your provision in the spirit and speaks it into existence, just like God did. Faith sees you healed. Faith sees you rich and wealthy in Christ Jesus. It sees you blessed with every spiritual blessing. Faith sees you praying for sick people and then being completely healed. Faith sees you having great influence in your workplace. Faith sees you with a great attitude Faith sees you happy and joyful even when you're depressed. Faith sees you uh, being able to have great boldness and confidence even if you feel full of fear. See, if you walk by your feelings, then you're saying, I don't have it. It's not mine. The point is is that faith already sees it and then you speak it into existence. Faith sees your friend saved. This is how faith operates. Amen? Amen. You see the spiritual provision in your life. You see it by faith and you call it out into existence. Is this getting through? So these two things Jesus says in that first step is we pray in faith. Faith looks like speaking to the mountain and faith looks like seeing what you already have, speaking it into existence, believing that you've already received it. Amen? All right, we're going to stay in this same scripture, but I'm moving on to the next step. Let me read verse 23 for you again. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and doesn't doubt, and doesn't doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. In other words, Jesus is saying if you doubt, it won't happen. Here's the fourth step to effective prayer in your life is you need to deal with doubt. Doubt has to be dealt with in your life. It's so incredibly important. See, the thing that will I believe the greatest enemy of your prayer life, the greatest enemy of your life isn't necessarily the devil but it's doubt. The only thing that stops your prayers from coming into existence, Jesus says, is doubt. That's all it is, doubt. I know it sounds really simple, but it's doubt. Doubt comes from the Greek word distazo, and it literally means to be wavering or double-stanced. Think about that. Doubt means to be double-stanced. So James chapter 1, verse 6-8, I think it is, uh, James says, whenever you ask, if you ask something for God in, for, from God in prayer, but you're, but you're doubting, you're like, you're like the waves. You're like the waves of the sea. You toss to and fro. You shouldn't expect to receive anything from God. In fact, you're unstable and you're double-minded, double-stanced in all that you do. So double-mindedness, uncertainty, this is what it looks like, okay? This is doubt, and it creeps into our prayer life. Personally, I believe that most Christians, I think most people in this room, wouldn't struggle with unbelief. Unbelief is different to doubt. Unbelief is the opposite of faith, right? So faith says, God, you exist. Unbelief says, God, you don't exist at all, right? Doubt is different. Doubt is, is, um, doubt is to do with the will of God, so doubt says, well, God, uh, I believe that you love me, but do you really? You know, I know you love my friend, but do you really love me? God, uh, is your word really true? That's what doubt is. So uh, double-mindedness, uncertainty. You pray for something and you've asked for it a week ago. I don't have it yet. I better go pray again. I better go ask God again. That's doubt. That's uncertainty. That's uncertainty. That's double-mindedness. Smith Wigglesworth, he was a great man, if you've heard about him. He said, if you've prayed seven times for one thing, then you have prayed six times in unbelief or doubt. Did you get that? If you've prayed seven times for one thing, then you have prayed six times in unbelief or doubt. Now, I get that that's circumstantial. You know, sometimes when you're declaring, taking authority over the enemy, you've got to do it more than once, right? But the point is getting across is that many believers, many Christians, we come to God and we prayed for something. Then a week goes by, we don't see it happen. A month goes by, we don't see it happen, and doubt creeps in. And we think, I better go ask again because God didn't hear me the first time. I better pray harder. I better pray louder. I better pray longer because God mustn't have heard me. So you have prayed for, uh, God, I want a promotion in my workplace. I thank you. I decree a promotion in my workplace in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for influence, Lord. Bang. You have prayed that prayer. So you don't need to pray again. You don't need to pray for it again. You can thank him. See, many people go and they'll ask again. Well, a month's gone by. I don't have it. And God's saying, well, he's getting people. He's, he's lining it up for you, but you're full of doubt. And you're saying, I don't have it. God, please, I need this. So you pray again. But no, no, God's saying, God's saying you've already prayed it. I've already, it's like, it'd be like a kid coming to you and asking for dinner one night. And then the next week saying, oh, can I have dinner? Your own child. And God's saying, no, no, you've already prayed for it. You can thank him. Thank you, Lord, that I've got it. I thank you, Lord that I've already received it by faith. Thank you that I've already received it in the spirit realm. Your word is working on my behalf and I shall see it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Come on. Amen. So this is how you pray. Double-mindedness, uncertainty. Well, will God, you know, I, I get he, it, my, my friend was healed, but will I be healed? My, my, oh, my friend just got a house, but will I? You know, all, and, and it's all this double-mindedness, uncertainty. Doubt is creeping into our lives. The enemy will always use doubt. All right. In Genesis chapter 3, the very first thing the devil says to Eve is, did God really say? It's the very first words. Genesis chapter 3. Did God really say? Did he really say, as doubt, he tries to sow doubt into our minds. Did God really say that by his stripes you are set free, healed? Did God really say that you're prosperous, that he's come to give you abundant life? See, he gets you to question the word of God. He gets you to question God, gets you to doubt. See, the enemy will always use doubt because think about this. You have all authority over the work of the devil, over that mountain. So how does the devil get you out of your authority? We have authority by faith. He knows that. So if the devil can get you out of faith, that means he gets you out of your authority. So you can't exercise your authority over the enemy when you're not in faith. When you're in faith, you exercise authority. So what does he do? He comes along and he sows doubt. And he says, yes, I can get that person doubting then I can get them out of their authority and then the mountain won't move. Yeah. Is this making sense? Yeah. I remember I was uh, at a weekend a couple months ago where I had to preach, uh, preach all, all Saturday really and then a Sunday morning. And, um, and I woke up in the. Well, I was having these dreams and it was like, these dreams are crazy. I was getting all these dreams. It was like I was seeing demons in the dream and uh, you know, I woke up, and you know, sometimes like when you're a kid, you wake up and you, you cover yourselves in the blanket, and you're freaking out, and you're like, "This is this is weird, like this is weird." I woke up, and I didn't say this to Beck because I didn't want to freak Beck out, but I, I felt like the devil was in the room. Like that's that's what I felt like when I woke up like that. The problem was I had to go to the toilet, so I had <laughs> to get up out of bed. I had to be brave, right? And uh, and and the whole point of the dream, you know. I woke up and and I just kind of ignored it. The next night, the same, the exact same thing happened. It was like these nightmares, but it was like the devil was attacking me in my sleep. The reason being is because I was about to preach for a full weekend and he wanted to take away my authority. He wanted to bring intimidation and fear into my life so that when I would go and preach, I would feel like I'm lacking faith and then I'd be lacking authority. See, he's a one-trick pony. He's not very smart, the enemy, You've got the mind of Christ. You're a lot smarter, you're a lot more wise. Amen. But He gets you in, He wants to get you into doubt. He wants to get you out of authority in your life. Many people say, I just want to touch on this really quickly. Many people say, Well, the devil we can give the devil legal access. Have you heard that? Have you heard that? That we when we sin or when we do something wrong, disobedient. Or maybe some generational thing that your parents have done. And so you can give the devil legal access in your life. So I just want to touch on this really quickly. People don't understand how the enemy operates or the power of the devil. Because think about this. The devil has power. He's not the opposite of God. God is God. The devil's a fallen angel. So he doesn't have the same power as God. But he's a fallen angel. He still has power. He has power but he has no authority. There's a difference. Jesus says to his disciples, I give you power and authority over the works of the devil. So there's a difference between power and authority. Power is you've got the ability to do it. Authority is you've got the legal right to do it. Authority is a legal term. Amen. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, Jesus says, I've given you the keys of the kingdom. Who had the keys of the kingdom before that? The devil. When he, took it from, when he took the authority from Adam and Eve all the way up till Jesus, the devil had the keys to the kingdom. But Jesus says, uh-uh, I'm giving them back to you. You've got the keys to the kingdom. Matthew chapter 28 says, I've given you all authority, Jesus says, to his disciples and to us today. You're in Christ. You have all authority. That means that you have authority and power over the devil. Okay? Are we getting this? The devil can never have legal access in your life because he never has authority. He's a thief. John 10.10. 10. The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. He's a thief. Thieves do not operate legally. They don't operate legally. And so what we do as believers is we, we've got this house and it's like we say, well, you left your door open. Uh, you went away for the night. You, you were a bit of a goose, left your doors open, left your windows open. And so a thief came and stole your stuff. The, the police don't then come and say, oh, sorry, you gave that thief legal access to your house. The police don't. They're not like, oh, well, bad luck. You know, that's legal for the thief to come and do that. No, it's not like that. But, but we say, well, if you do this or do this, well, you're allowing the devil, you're allowing legal access into your life. And so you've got to confess this and get right with God. And then you got to pray into this and do all this. No, it's ridiculous. He doesn't have legal access to the life of Jesus who's seated in heaven. That means he doesn't have legal access in your life. Come on. Some people should get happy about this because you've been fed the lie that there's things I've done in the past and now that there's a mountain in my life, it's because I've allowed the devil legally to come and work that in my life. It's ridiculous. No, he has power, but he has no authority. Okay? I thought I'd clear that up. Does that make some people happy in here? Okay. So the solution to doubt. How to, deal with the, how to deal with doubt. The enemy, that's his main goal. That's his main plan in your life. His main plan is to not come along and, and you know, get, get you doing all this other stuff or, or get you, you know, praising God instead of praying or doing all this. His main plan is to make you doubt. That's his main plan, all right? So here's how to deal with doubt in our lives, how to overcome doubt. James 4, 7 says, Submit to God, resist the devil, resist, and he will flee from you. Not from your friend, from you. (laughs) Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will run away. It's a good song, actually. Teach that one to your kids. Submission, what does submission to God look like? Submission is agreeing with God's Word. So remember step two, where we agree with the Word of God. That's what submission is. So when the enemy comes with doubt, you've prayed for something, the mountain hasn't moved, There's been a, there's delays, you might not have got it. In that first second that you prayed for it, you might not see it in the natural. You've got it, but you might not see it. And it might take a little bit of time to God, for God to line everything up, for the Word of God to move in your life, okay? So it's okay to have delays. You've still got it. So you pray, the enemy starts sowing doubt. Wow, well, you don't, must not have that. You must have to pray again. Well, yeah, you, know, you must not have the authority. Oh, you must have to grow more in your faith or you must have to do all this. No, no, he's just sowing doubt in your life, okay? So he sows doubt. Scripture says, submit to God. In other words, don't agree with the devil's word. Don't agree with doubt. Agree with the word of God. Amen? Come on. You submit. You agree to what God says. Submit to him. Resist the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So I submit to the word of God. Thank you, Lord. Your word is true. I believe what you have said. Even though I haven't seen it yet, I still believe it. It's mine. I submit to you. Resist the devil. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, Paul says to Timothy, and this is the only fighting you have to do. All right? This is the only fight a believer has. He says, fight the good fight of faith fight the good fight of faith. What's he saying? He's literally saying, remain in faith. Remain in faith. That's what he's saying. You have the measure of faith. Amen. God's placed that within you. You don't have to go running for it. You don't have to, you know, I have to go to all these conferences and get it. I have to get an impartation from someone else. I have to get someone else to go pray for me. So then then my faith gets there. You've already got the measure of faith. So yes, faith builds with the Word, and as you feed on that Word, you submit to God, your faith, will go, your faith will grow to the capacity that it already has, but you've already got it. Amen? So we remain in faith. It's the only fight you'll ever have. What the devil does is he wants you warring and fighting and getting exhausted. He wants you waking up in the morning, I haven't seen it yet, I haven't seen the breakthrough, so I must have to keep declaring. I must have to keep doing this. I must have to keep praying. I must have to ring up all my friends and get them to pray. I must have to get a a huge prayer group into say, I love prayer, it's it's all good, you can do that. But he he wants you getting all this because he's sowing doubt in your life. But, But no, God's saying just remain in faith. Remain in faith. And so he wants to get you warring everywhere else. The devil wants you fighting everywhere. The Bible doesn't say that we're meant to fight the devil. Does it? It says we've already won. You've already won the battle. You've already won the victory. The only fight you have is to remain in faith. The only fight you have is to not let doubt win. Come on. Come on. That's the only fight for a believer. And that's why we have rest in Jesus. Amen. Because he's won the battle for us. That's why we live in the Sabbath day rest. Are we getting it? So we submit to God. We agree with his word and we stay in the realm of faith. The second point, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ Jesus. So that means when those thoughts of doubt keep coming back in your life, those w- when doubt comes, because doubt will come. Doubt will come. Why? Because the enemy comes and speaks to you. That's why I know. It comes to me. Doubt will come. Right? So when those thoughts of doubt come to your life, you're meant to take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, to the obedience of His Word. So you get those thoughts, your thoughts of fear, God, I'm going to die. Just be blunt, like that's a thought, isn't it, for some people who are sick? God, I'm going to die. And so you take that thought and you say, no, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. That is a thought from the devil. That's not me. I command you to leave. I tear you down in the name of Jesus Christ. Get out. And you rebuke it, you cast that thought, you get it out of your mind, you take it captive, and then you replace it with God's word. Thank you, Lord, that I'm set free. Thank you, I'm your son. Thank you that I'm your beloved. Amen? So you replace it with the word of God. Many people, they, they get these doubts come. Well, you're never going to make it. You're never going to be prosperous. And so they get that thought and then they entertain it. And they run it over and over in their mind. Well, that must be true. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah well, it's true. Oh, yeah. And they agree with the devil. Yeah, well, you know, I probably haven't been working that hard. Yeah, maybe. Oh, yeah, it's true. I'm not in a great job. And we entertain all this doubt. It's no wonder that your mountain's not moving. Come on. It's no wonder. And so we take these thoughts as personal, not realizing that they're sowed by the devil. And we then think it's us. See, it's important to discern in your thought life, in the battle of your mind, what's you and then what's the enemy. It's really important. So we bring every thought captive. Every thought of doubt that I have after I've prayed for something, when there's a mountain I've declared it it must move, every thought of doubt I then have after that, I have to take it captive. I tear it down. I felt like this was a word for some people here. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, Cast all your anxieties, cast all your worries onto God. In other words, take all those thoughts captive and get rid of them. You don't need to carry them. Get them out of your mind. Cast all your cares onto God, your worries, your anxiety, because He cares for you. Because He cares for you. Now, I felt like many people in prayer, what happens is we don't see the breakthrough straight away And so we believe those thoughts of doubt, and doubt will always produce worry and anxiety in your life. You'll start freaking out. You'll start getting really worried. You'll start getting scared. You'll start getting fearful at night. You'll start getting nightmares. Your mind will start doing weird things. Your heart will start racing throughout the day. That's worry. That's anxiety. It all stems from doubt. It's interesting when when you read the great men and women of faith, you know, your Kenneth Hagens, your Smith Wigglesworth, they say the most undiscerned and neglected, well, not realised sin in the body of Christ is worry. Worry. Now, don't feel condemned by that if you worry. That's, you know, conviction says, get out of it. Amen? You're not meant to worry because you're greater than that. You have Christ living in you. But worry is something that people do all the time and we don't even realize the damage it does to our lives. So how do you solve worry in your life? How do you get rid of worry? Exactly like this. Bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Cast all your cares upon God. Why? This is the revelation. So this is, this is the solution. Why? Because He cares for you. So that's the word that solves your problem. Amen? Amen. So you take that thought captive and you replace it with the word, God cares for me. So you're worrying and you're fretting because you haven't seen the answer to your prayer. Maybe it's in a relationship and you're praying. Maybe it's marriage. Maybe it's for your kids, whatever it is. You've been praying and praying and praying, but you haven't seen a breakthrough. And so you're worried. God says, no, no, cast it away. Cast it all onto God and declare that God cares for me. God cares for me. So every time you worry, say, I don't have to worry I don't have to fret. I don't have to doubt because God cares for me. I say this all the time, but God, God cares about you more than you care about you. Come on. It's like you've got, we, we have this problem in our life and we come to God and we're like, God, do something. And God's saying, I care about that problem more than you do. I want you to be prosperous more than you want to be prosperous. And so we come to God and it's like we barter. We say, oh, well, I just, I need this, Lord. I need this. I need. God's like, I know. Matthew 6, I know your needs already. I know you need it. It's okay. I care about it more than you do. Just, just cast that worry, cast that care onto me because I care. Yeah. You know, God, see, the problem is, is we take that when you worry, when you're anxious, what you're doing is you're taking that responsibility of the problem to your solution onto yourself rather than casting it onto God. That's what you're doing. It'd be like your little kid at home and, and your kid saying, and it'd be like you saying, all right, um, we just have to budget this week because there's not a lot of money in the bank account. And it would be like your kid who's 10 years old saying, oh, no, it's all right. I'm just going to go get this job. I'm going to work full time. And your kid, you're like, no, no, don't worry about it. Don't, I love you. You're my child. You don't have to. I'm your provider. I'm caring for you. you. You just sit back and chill out. You just sit back and relax and watch TV all day. As kids do in school holidays. But see, the kid doesn't. The kid's not like that. But see, the kid doesn't say, "Oh, well, the parents are going through some financial trouble, so I, I better go and do some work." I'm ten years old, but I better go and do all this. That that, and I know that that can happen in some countries, but that's not the way God designed it. And, and we as Christians, what we do is we're that little ten-year-old kid saying, "All right, I'm going to do go do all this full-time work. I'm going to solve the problem, God." And God's saying, "No." No, I care for you. I care for you. Don't put that responsibility on yourself. Cast it onto me. I'm your provider. So I say to God, I say, God, I've already declared that this mountain has moved, so it will move. God, I've already asked you for this, so it's your problem now. It's your problem. I trust you. I've done, I've prayed, I've trust you. It's your problem now. It's not my problem anymore, so I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to fret. I'm not going to be anxious. I'm going to get rid of those thoughts of doubt. I'm not going to entertain them. Is this helping some people? So the third thing is Philippians 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 6, uh, 6 to 8. Paul says, if anything is true, what's true? God's Word. If anything is true, anything holy, uh, anything that's good, anything that's pure, I want you to think about such things. Meditate upon such things. So the third thing, remember the first is you agree with God's word, stand in faith. Don't get out of that realm of faith. Second thing to deal with doubt, take every thought captive. The third thing is you let your thought life, every thought reaffirm what you have prayed for. Let every thought reaffirm what you have prayed for. And you do that by meditating upon God's word. You do that by getting that promise for your mountain to move, and then every thought that comes, once doubt's coming against you, you say, "Nut, nah, get out in Jesus' name. And then you meditate. You think about what God's Word says about that. It's really important. Let your thought life, let your thought life, I'm really defining this, let your thought life agree with God's Word. Let it meditate upon the Word of God. All right? Okay, I knew you'd like that point. So that's how you deal with doubt. Doubt, I believe, is the, the, the greatest weapon that the enemy will use in our life. If you can deal with doubt, then you'll have all authority over the mountain and your mountain has to move. You have, prayer is really simple. You speak to that mountain, believe you've received it, don't let doubt come into your life, cast it out and bang, it's done. Amen? Yeah. All right, last point. And this is going to be a real short one. Matthew... Chapter 18, verse 19, turn with me there. Jesus says, Jesus says, again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them. I love Jesus. Don't you love Jesus? He just makes it so simple. He says, I'm so glad he doesn't say it may be done for them. Because that's how we often think, isn't it? But Jesus just says, it will be done. It will. It has to be done. It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. There I am with them. This is the last step five. So remember this one, we've had praying faith, deal with doubt. Step five, get someone to agree with you. The prayer of agreement, we call it. The prayer of agreement. There is so much power in agreement. I believe it's a kingdom principle, a spiritual law, whatever you want to call it. But when two people agree on something in faith, when when you're in prayer and you ask God for something or you declare that mountain to move and you agree, when you've agreed, it shall be done. It's like, you know, the only way I can really explain it is it's like fireworks go off in the spirit realm. It's like, I mean, the mountain has to move. It's just, it's like a huge display. One slays 1,000, two slaves 10,000. Do you get that? So it's like the kingdom principle of agreement. There's power in agreement. There's so much power. That's why the Apostle Paul talks so much about unity within the church. Because imagine your faith. So you're praying for something. You're praying for something. But then imagine the faith of someone else joining with your faith. And then imagine this person's faith coming in and agreeing. And then this person. And then this person. And then everyone. And then everyone in this room agrees about the same thing. Yeah. Look at the power in that. Yeah. We had, um, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was, I think it was just after Christmas, Alex she, came up and shared a testimony about how she was completely healed. Uh, I'm, I'm not a doctor, so I'm just not going to bother trying to explain what it was. But she had problems with her kidney, her functioning, and and she was completely healed of that. I remember the night we prayed for her. I remember I got our youth around her, and she told us the problem. And I said, this is what the Bible says. You speak to the problem, and it's done. You take authority, and you believe it's already done once you've spoken it. And so, you know, it, it wasn't like some really great theological prayer. I have to say, some people freak out. When, when you get them to pray, because I have to say all the right words, I have to sound fancy, everything else, it's like a formula. No, it's not like that at all. Just spoke to the problem. And, and I said to her, and it popped up in my mind, it was really interesting. I prayed for her once, and obviously she can't feel if she was healed or not, she had to go get results, a test. And I, I was about to say to her, it's funny how the devil works, just pray for her again, just, just to make sure. I was about to do that. But I thought, nah, and I remember verbally saying to everyone, we're just going to pray, nah, that's it, we've prayed and it's done. And then I remember getting the updates, you know, a month later, two months later, and I think it was about three months later, and she was completely healed. She goes to the doctor and the doctor says, I don't know how this is happening, but you can come off the meds. And then a couple months later, she said, for some reason, somehow, I don't know how, but your kidneys are completely healed, there's no problem there anymore. But that's the power of agreement, isn't it? Is that I got the youth around. That was the important thing. I got our young people around it. Let's all agree. Let's just agree in faith. And it was like she didn't feel it, but we just agreed that it was done. Amen? There was delays. There was delays. She wouldn't know for a month or two, but it was done. Amen? That's so important, the power of agreement in our lives. How do you pray in agreement? Finishing up. How do we pray in agreement? Well, Jesus says, if two of you are on Earth, so, that means there has to be at least two. and and, and where do you have to be? But where? Where's the location? On Earth. Yes. I mean, it's, again, Jesus makes it really simple, doesn't he? If you're on Earth and there's two of you, you can agree. You all thought I was going to say something really theologically great then, weren't you? Two of you on Earth, and you agree. That's the qualification. What does agreement look like? Agreement, that's why I said agreement is to do with faith. So you agree for something in faith. And this is, I guess this is the important part of agreement. There is no point you praying with your wife or with your husband and uh, and you saying, I want this, and, and your husband saying, I want this. There's no point asking for different things, firstly. But secondly, there's no point you believing for... Uh, 20-bedroom house and your husband believing for a five-bedroom house. You get know what I mean? Is it, there's no agreement in faith there. See, I've done this with people, but, and this is totally fine. This is where you show grace, but I've prayed for, for healing for some people and their, their faith is they don't believe, there's doubt there, they don't think they'll be completely healed. But they have faith that they can go to the hospital and that the surgery will go incredibly well And that there will be a miracle in the surgery that the recovery won't take six months. It'll only take one month and they'll be out and completely restored. Now, we can look at that and say, well, no, no, you should be believing for the miracle. But if you want the prayer of agreement to work, you have to agree in faith. And so I've said to people, okay, if that's what you have faith for, great. I'll agree with you for that. Let's agree. Amen. Father, I thank you and I declare that this surgery will be incredibly smooth and she'll have a quick recovery. Amen. That's how the prayer of agreement works. So it's really important because sometimes we pray and one person is believing here, one person's believing up there, and this person who gives their amen, it's not in faith. And so it's not agreement. Do we get that? It's important to understand. The second thing, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, Peter says, husbands, so this is all, all the husbands in the room, look out. This is what Peter says. Husbands, you know, treat your wives honorably with respect as the weaker partner, meaning that's, that's, that's in your muscles, right? Weaker in there. Though some wives are stronger than their husbands. but That's what he's saying because some people take that and say, well, women are weaker than men. That's not true. We're all in Christ, amen? But he says, husbands, treat your wives honourably, honorably with respect, all this stuff. Why? So that your prayers won't be hindered. That's interesting, isn't it? So your prayers are hindered. Your prayers can be hindered if you're not in right relationship with that person. So this is the second thing to agreement, is that we agree in faith and then we agree when we're in right relationship. So that means if I'm praying with my wife and, and there's an, an offence there or there's something going wrong and I'm saying, yes, God, tear this down, I rebuke this, let's agree on this, Beck and she's angry with me because an hour ago we've just had a Barney. Well, then Peter's saying you have to reconcile first. You need to be in right relationship with each other. Then there will be agreement. Amen? That's why Paul, again, that's why the Apostle Paul says, the church, let's forgive each other. As Christ forgave you, forgive one another so there's unity. Amen? So that's the prayer of agreement. It's incredibly powerful. I've, I've, I've seen people where... We've agreed and then bang, it's done. There's been job promotions for people, things like that. So, the prayer of agreement is really important. If your mountain hasn't moved, then get someone to agree with you. Amen? Amen. So, that's the Dean's five steps to the better way to pray. Pray in position, pray from your position, pray according to God's word, in agreement with his word. Pray in faith. Amen? Speak to the mountain. You've already got it. Then deal with doubt. Doubt will come. Doubt will come. So remember, I've got to deal with doubt. I'm not going to entertain those thoughts of doubt anymore. Stop it. Stop it. I'm saying stop. Yeah. Because you do. I do it. We entertain thoughts of doubt. Stop it. Yeah. Just say to yourself, I'm dealing with, I've got to deal with doubt. Stop it. I'm not letting it happen. And then we pray in agreement with someone. Amen. So I encourage everyone set goals for your prayer life. This isn't some religious thing, you know, but I've said for myself, I have to set goals because the reality is, is if I don't, I'll forget to do it. So set goals for your prayer life. Say, Lord, I'm going to spend this time with you. I'm going to do this. When the problem comes up, I'm just going to, it's really simple. I'm going to speak to that mountain. But I I want every single person to be more effective in their prayer life this year. Amen. I want every single person to be delighting in God, communing with Him, and importantly, I want you to pray and for your mountains to move. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father, that you're our provider. And I decree over everyone today that their prayer life is prospering. That, Father, they have the attitude of excitement when they pray. They have the attitude of excitement that when they get to spend time with you, It's a glorious time. It's not a burden. And I break off those lies that I have to go to God like a taskmaster. He's not happy with me. And I just have to go and riddle off this list. I have to make sure I pray. Otherwise, these things won't happen. No, no. The Lord is saying to people today that He just wants to enjoy spending time with you, intimacy with you. And then out of that, out of that flows your authority out of that flows your authority over the problem. And so we thank you, Holy Spirit. I ask that you reveal to every single person today who they are, how much you care for them, Lord. How happy you are. How you say in your word in Zephaniah that you rejoice over every single person with singing. You have a song over everyone. And your predisposition towards us is that you just want to spend time with us, you love us, and you're incredibly happy with us. And so we thank you, Lord. I pray for that revelation right now in every single person. And Lord, I thank you for their authority. I speak to those who are facing problems at the moment. We thank you, God. We join in agreement with them that their mountain has to move in the name of Jesus Christ. For those who need healing, for those who need breakthrough, for those who need relationships to be, uh, to be restored. I decree that your mountain has moved in the name of Jesus. I decree you have all authority over the devil and that you can laugh at him because uh, Jesus, he made it simple for us. So we thank you, Jesus, for the simplicity of the gospel, of our relationship with you, And let's release that, God, over every single person. Passionate prayers. Passionate prayers in Jesus' mighty name.